Mr. Milton family here? Okay. So, um, I, uh, I'd also like to introduce, uh, we had a reception last night um, for my son and his beautiful bride, and uh, it was a sweet time. Sorry you guys didn't make it, you missed. Today we're going to have afterwards, we have food, we need a bunch of food, so afterwards we have food, so we're going to have a potluck afterwards, and everybody's invited. So... Um, I guess you wouldn't call it a potluck. We're going to have dinner. So it's a good thing. So, but uh, most of you, Ashley's been here before and have met Ashley, but um, this is the bride of my son, Ashley Rosser. You don't want to stand up. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it's sweet to have her family here too. Um, Cleet and Jody and Danielle Miller. So that's a... They came over for the reception and um, make sure we're going to take good care of their daughter while we're living here. And, um, that that that's a good thing, you know. It's it's a it's a wondrous thing to have two families that are united and they're supporting and encouraging and being behind their kids' marriage. Um, and that's a, something I'm really grateful for. I'm grateful to have a daughter-in-law whose parents and family are so supportive of her. And, and supportive of my son, and my son can have, he gained another family, um, and that's a good thing, so we did too, so, um, my, my wife's sister Janet is here, and, uh, she came up for the reception too, and hang out with her sister, so, good to have you here, I forget your name, right behind you, Tom, yes, Melinda, it's good to have you here, so, so, here we are, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, second half. But before I go there, um, we talked about some things last week, and, and one of the, the issues is I didn't, um, I wanted to just follow up with, with a section of Scripture that we talked about a lot, but I didn't read, and I just wanted to read it before we move on to 1 Corinthians 11, so... Let's pray a minute and then we'll go. Father, I thank you that you are the head pastor. I thank you that you are the the chief shepherd. I thank you that you are Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't go away and leave us and abandon us, but not only sit continuously interceding for us, but also gave your Holy Spirit to us so that we can be communicated to intimately and directly. And I, I thank you for that. And I, I thank you that you also have protected and held your word in sanctity of this this Bible. I thank you that we can we can go back and we can find out the what you what you originally inspired men to say and write down stand as a basis for for what we believe. And I thank you for that. I thank you that we can go back there as a foundation and, and not, not have to depend on the way we feel or how it's, how the current feeling is about it. That we, that we can go back and stand on your truth. Stand on the absolute truth. I thank you that we can be united on your truth. I thank you that we don't have to, these people don't have to say, well, this is David's opinion, but they can be confirmed in your truth through your word. I thank you that they don't have to depend on me being an eloquent teacher, otherwise they'd be in trouble. But I thank you they can depend on you being a faithful father who has protected and written down your truth to, to convey to us through your Holy Spirit and, and through each other. So we look for you to do that today, God. I, I look to you to bless our time, not not just as we sit here and, and try to try to understand and try to come to a better comprehension of who you are and what you're about and what your character and nature is, but also as we do that same thing through each other and hang out together. Um, encourage all these people to hang out and stay and eat dinner together. And, and uh, I look forward to that more than being me talk, that's for sure. So um, I thank you, God. I thank you for the 
for the privilege of being your mouthpiece, and I ask you to protect that and guard it. For your name's sake. Amen. So, we talked a little bit. I, I used the verse a couple times last week, and I just want to make sure we go back and, and um, I guess, validate it by the Word. And the statement that Jesus made, it's not what enters the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. And this is in Matthew chapter 15. So, um, if you guys, I, I'm going to read it here, um, a little section, and, and uh, it ties in because it all ties in. You know, the, the aspect that um, we're in 1 Corinthians 11, that, that's true. But the truth is we're in the Bible. And that doesn't, that, that's completely intertwined. And when it doesn't intertwine, um, means we miss, have a misunderstanding because it is intertwined, written by the same God, um, with the same heart, who doesn't change. So, let me read a minute. This is, I, I actually look forward to it. I know we're, um, I don't know where God will lead us for sure. We started off and made a commitment to go through 1 Corinthians. Um, I think that was just, just so I'd get my fan kicked for a few months. But, uh, cause it's, it, it's tough and been tough and it's not necessarily going to get easier yet. We've still got a ways to go to finish this out. You know, there's a, there's a pretty good run here yet to go and talking about the gifts and whatnot and here we are. But, uh, I'm actually anxious and, and there's a chance that, uh, we might head to Matthew because I, I, after we're done there because I, the life of Jesus is something that's, that's misunderstood, I think, and, and, you know, my whole life growing up, probably the, the least time was spent. There's there's things pulled out of Matthew, but there's I, I was never really given, um, and probably because I wasn't paying attention partly, but as a young kid, but I was never really given a, a really solid picture of Jesus, this Jesus that I claim to serve. Um, I think some of it is that he's really difficult and controversial at times in what he says. He was a he was a continual controversy to the establishment. And that makes it difficult um, because he, it holds true today too. That he's a controversial in our establishment. So let me read the first part of 15 because that's the, the context he was talking about. And, the, and some Pharisees and some scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem saying, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? But they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever shall say to his father or mother, Anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father and mother. And thus, you invalidate the word of the Lord for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching as their doctrines the precepts of men. And he called to himself the multitude and said to them, Hear and understand. It's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth this defiles the man. Then his disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you said this statement? But he, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Let them alone. The blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man goes, guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter answered and said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands is not defile the man. That one thing that, that was really pressed home to me last week in, in reading this, and I was really grateful to have the Gospels, it was a 
it's a good thing. But but it's a very important principle, and 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 I guess I just want to make it clear that this is a principle that comes from the Bible. The Pharisees were very caught up in things outside defiling them, and making them unclean, and making their relationship with God wrong, um, and and it, it was pretty intense. I mean, they not only had the book of Leviticus, and if any of you have read that, it's intense. Or the book of Deuteronomy, and if any of you have read that, it's intense. But they made up more books. They made up the Mishnah. They made up a whole whole nother stack of law books that said, you keep this, you do this, you act this way, and then you'll be right with God. And, and as a result, they were very, very confused about their relationship with God. When Jesus came, they were continually holding him, saying, you can't be a godly man because... You know, the guys that are following you don't don't even follow the traditions of the elders. I mean, this is the way it's done. This is the way the people of God act. This is what you're supposed to do. And in, in Jesus went back at him and said, you know, this is really a condition of the heart. This is this is not an outward thing. Um, and, and it's true that that initially there was a lot of laws written about ceremoniously washing your hands. It was true that there was that there was laws written about eating kosher meat um, in the Old Testament. There was things you could eat, couldn't eat, and you could eat. You know, you couldn't eat a crow. I don't, you know, I don't know that I would really want to, but but you know, there was there was certain things you could and couldn't eat that are in when you read Leviticus that are pretty. Um, it's a pretty intense book. But when Jesus came, and, and the whole intent in God to begin with was to set aside a holy people. The people would be a holy people, a holy race, set aside for the purpose of God. And they didn't have um, the power of God to salvation. They didn't have the work of the cross in their life. They didn't have the resurrection of Jesus um, to empower them to be free from sin. So there was, there was a whole bunch of laws that were, that were given, and, and by faith they obeyed God. And the way that their sins were forgiven um, was by faith, obeying God. And by faith it meant they had to go kill something and shed its blood in order to be forgiven. Um, pretty intense deal. I mean, these people were all about it, and it wasn't. And it wasn't necessarily that you just paid paid with a lamb. You had to go kill the lamb. You had to go hold it there while it was still alive, slit its throat, and let it bleed out, bleed out, and doing it. And you know, it was it was a pretty intense involvement with the necessity of blood covering sin. When Jesus came in the new covenant, it changed all that. Um, it changed the the way that we respond uh, to God now. And, and I, the same God, but it changed the way we responded to him now, that, that we do respond to him now. The, the, the point that I want to, there actually there's two things here that, that lead into 1 Corinthians 11, but the one that is very important is it's not what enters the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. And, Again, he says, this disciples came and said, don't you know that the Pharisees were very offended when they heard this statement? Because to them, holiness was about not doing and doing certain things. And it was on the outward. Okay? You washed your hands, you didn't eat certain meat, you, you made sure you kept the, the Sabbath in a, in a way that had all kinds of legalism attached to it. And they believed that they were right with God because of that. And what Jesus was saying is it's not what, it's not the input, it's not the stimulus that defiles the man. It's not what comes into the man that defiles him. Hello, Robinson family. (laughs) That it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. But, but, and hear me, and I ask you to consider this. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. But it's how he interprets that and how he deals with that information. This is a very, very important baseline here for us. Um, that, that the outward things, not having clean hands, as Jesus said, that, that's not what defiles you because you didn't ceremoniously wash your hands. What defiles you is how you take that input and interpret it back out. Okay? How you take that stimulus, whether it's food stimulus, whether it's material stimulus, whether it's intellectual stimulus, whether it's sensual stimulus on whatever level, it's how you interpret that. Remember the example I used? That, that, that a, a woman walking in here um, 
in whatever form. And I'm speaking this from a man, but it, it's the, the same applies to a to a to a woman. If a woman walks in here, you know, it isn't the stimulus of a beautiful woman that gives me any right to sin, right? It's how I interpret that stimulus. It, it isn't someone, conversely, it isn't someone getting angry at me that gives me a right to sin, right? And what, are, what are the things that he says, says that defile you? Um, he says that, uh, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, okay? Murders. Jesus spoke clearly, seriously about murder. What does it mean to murder? It means to be extremely angry without cause, that you're guilty of murder. Okay? So, but the issue is, anger, anger typically comes from a stimulus, right? Somebody provoked me. Somebody caused me to do that. Somebody offended me. Somebody wronged me. Somebody did something bad to me. The issue is, it isn't that person doing that to you that defiles you. What is it? how I deal with that. It's what, how my heart deals with that. That's what defiles me. Do I come back with anger? Do I come back with resentment, with bitterness, with retaliation? You know, what is it that defiles my heart? He says that's the murder comes out of the heart. It's a response to, to the information that you're given. It's the same thing with, with adulteries, with fornications, with thefts, with false witnesses, with slander. You know, th- those are things that come out of a heart that isn't regenerated. So, th- the thing they continuously accused Jesus of was his association with sinners. Right? They said, Jesus, you know, you're a drunkard. Right? You, 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 hang, you associate, you're a glutton, you're a drunkard, you hang around with tax gatherers, and you hang around with sinners. And they accused him of that and said that because of association, he was defiled. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm not defiled by the outward stimulus by the people around me, by the way these people talk, by the fact they don't eat kosher food, by the fact that they they don't wash their hands ceremoniously before they eat. Those don't, those don't defile me. Um, what defiles us is how we interpret and deal with that input and put it back out. Okay? When some when someone offends me, you know, what? How does my heart defile me? My heart shows its defilement by, again, coming back at them in a murderous or angry way. Um, and again, murder isn't just shooting them. Murder being angry without cause. Wrongfully angry without cause. So, I would challenge you guys to go read that in the context. Because we tend to think the same thing. We tend to, we tend to put on Christianese. I think one of the worst things that we do to people who begin a pursuit of God is we say, start acting like a Christian. Whatever that means. We we start we start saying, you know, quit doing quit quit doing the those things which are not quit smoking, quit quit chewing, quit um quit drinking, quit cussing, quit doing those things. I, I'm not saying that it's right to go doing those things, to do those things. But the problem is that we change men from the outward, just like the Pharisees did. We say, clean clean your act up on the outward. And what did Jesus say they become? They became whitewashed tombs, still dead inside. With an outward that was cleaned up, and yet the heart was never redeemed. The heart was never changed. I'm not saying that it's wrong to be obedient to God. It's, it's absolutely essential that we're obedient to God. That we surrender our lives to God. And there's things that we obviously aren't, aren't good for us and aren't healthy for us. But the issue is that, that a redeemed heart, when our heart truly knows our Father, when our heart truly gets to know God, those things will change. And they'll change from the inside out. That's what we want to be, is people who are changed from the inside out. Not people that look right on the outside. Not, not people that, that, that everything seems right on the outside but aren't. It's one of the reasons, again, that, you know, in, in the morning, first thing, it isn't delinquency that we don't start till 20 after or whatever it ends up being. Um, that's fully premeditated. Again. And, and the reason is, is because... I, I really don't want, and I'm not alone in this, but I really don't want people to just walk in, everybody come in and go, hi, how are you? Oh, fine, fine, and, and sit down, face each other's backs, and you can do it. There's a necessity and an opportunity when somebody walks in to know, okay, if, if I just say fine, fine, they're going to keep looking at me going, really? Are you? And they've got 15 minutes to do it. You know, I don't get to just slip on by and go sit down in my seat. That We need to be people that are real, real about our lives, 
I want you guys to be involved in each other's lives. I want you guys to care about each other's lives. I don't want to just walk in and, and immediately walk in, sit down, look at the back of each other's heads and, and listen to Levi or listen to me or listen to whatever. Um, is not conducive to being real. Is not conducive to expressing your heart. Some of it's just time frame. I really don't have time to tell you. You don't want to hear you know, um, what's going on. Well, yes, we do want to hear. And yes, you do have time. And, and we want to make that time. We want to make that time to say hello and mean it. We want to take that time to not just say how are you, but mean it. And find out how each other is and be able to minister. Because that's really what the body's about. I believe that that time is just as important um, as this time. It's not more important. I mean, you guys are all have a responsibility as, as part of a body to, to minister to the body. Um, you know, it's a pretty profound thing that we are an integral. The, bo- the description of a body is an integral unit, absolutely bound together. When, a, when an arm's cut off, it doesn't function anymore, does it? It's necessary that we're intimately bound together and yet have such distinct functions. My ear doesn't do what my hand does, and my feet doesn't do what my eyes do. You know, there are absolutely distinct functions within it, but yet the, the, the essential nature of unity, of intimate unity, is there. And this relates to, to, to chapter 11, and we'll go there, of 1 Corinthians. So I, I wanted to make sure that you guys understood that, that the verse I use is not what enters the mouth that defiles a man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles him. What did Jesus mean by that? What was he saying? What was the truth he was trying to convey to that? And I would challenge you, there it is in Matthew 15. So, 1 Corinthians 13, that's, I mean 11, that's where we are. So, this is about communion. And I, I would challenge you all to try to lay your presuppositions down a little bit and, and say, okay, what, what, is, what is God's heart on communion? What was Jesus trying to give us in this act of communion? Um, because there's you know, as we just were in Matthew, part of what he said in 15, what Jesus quoted, we, he called them hypocrites. Why? He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. But in vain they do not worship me, teaching as their doctrines the precepts of men. Okay? Now, I, 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 can, I can guarantee you nobody in this room really wants to be guilty of that. Right? I mean, we all, we all want our doctrine to be the truth about God. We all want what we stand on to be the, the absolute truth of God, not the dogma of men. Over the issue of communion, there's probably been more dogma developed than, than, than most truths in the Bible. Okay? There's a tremendous amount of church dogma. And let me just say that if any of us believes, whether we're church people, whether we grew up in church or not, that we're not influenced by that, we're we haven't looked at it well enough. We're all influenced by a tremendous, um, prolific amount of dogma, of church dogma. The, you know, primarily the Catholic Church. I mean, this, this happened really quickly after the Catholic Church was... The church, but things, things went south pretty quick um, and stayed south for a long time. And, and they developed it. I mean, this was a huge issue. People were... Were, were impaled on stakes and burned to death over communion and their interpretation of understanding of communion. Okay. People, crusades were fought over communion. Um, they, they spent 300 years in, in intense fighting and argument over what does it really mean in communion before the church even developed this body of information and wrote down and says, we'll all agree what communion looks like. Martin Luther came in and, and changed that. Um, I thank God for Martin Luther. Um, God used him in a powerful, mighty way. But prior to that, the, the communion table, the Eucharist, was the center of the church. That was the front. There was no guy up here, and I'm fortunately not behind a pulpit. Hopefully this is just elevated enough so you can see and hear. Um, I can see when you're falling asleep and say something. But, but the... I love John. You're not falling asleep, I know. So, but 
the, the center of the, of the church, the whole center of our relationship with God, the Catholic Church says, was the, the communion table, the Eucharist, they called it. And this is, this is a pretty, they developed a tremendous elaborate um, church dogma manifesto about it. Okay? And, and we're all influenced by that still. Martin Luther came in and, and changed that quite a bit. He actually turned around and said, no, that's not the center. So he set it down here where I sit now and put the pulpit up there instead of doing it. And said the center of your relationship with God is teaching, um, to simplify it. And said the center of relationship with God is, is good preaching. Um, I don't believe that was necessarily right, but he was probably a step in the right direction as far as sound teaching goes. Um, but I, I would just ask you all to to try to lay aside and, and let's let's hear what God has to say because I, I believe our understanding of of what communion is supposed to be is very important. Um, first, let me read Jesus participating in this um, because I, you know Jesus instituted it, so I think that that's that's important. And prob- probably most of you, any of you that have been in church, pretty much have this memorized. Right? Because it, it, it's used and said the same way. Um, memorization can be a wondrous thing. It can be a, a very important thing to memorize the Word of God. To become hard-hearted to it is a very dangerous thing. So I would ask you to try to listen um, to the context of what Jesus is saying and, and, and ask God to, to direct your heart as far as what His meaning is. In Matthew 26, um, you guys... Under, understand If we went to John, we could read the account in John of what happened at the Passover. Um, but, the, but it's a pretty scary account. Um, there, there's, here, here's Jesus coming into the, the, to Jerusalem. He's coming into the Passover, which was a, a primary feast in the Jewish culture. Um, it, it was. Remember what the Passover was? Remember when they came out of, of, of Egypt, when the people, when God led them out of Egypt? Um, the last, the last ex- exhibition of God's almighty power on the, on Egypt and on the Pharaoh for not letting his people go, um, had to do with the Passover. That, uh, God said, okay, you guys, everybody take, take a lamb, and there was a bunch of specific details. Take, a, take an unblemished lamb. Kill it in the right way. Let its blood out. Put the blood over your door. Mantle, okay? Because I'm going to send the angel of death. And if the blood, if you're not covered by the blood of this unblemished lamb, your firstborn is going to die. Um, and, and God sent the angel of death and devastated Egypt. That firstborn sons, firstborn of cattle, firstborns were, the, the land was killed Pharaoh's firstborn, everybody's firstborn. Nobody missed it. If you didn't have the blood over the, over the doorpost, firstborn died. Um, when this happened, the Pharaoh said, enough, let go, leave, send you out to go. And that, that was a representation of the necessity of us being covered by the blood of the Lamb. Us being covered by the blood of Jesus. That's an absolute critical understanding. This isn't just an event that happened. Jesus' death isn't just a ha- an event that happened it, at some point in time. It's kind of important to Christianity. This is the foundation. Okay, This is the critical foundation for our soul. And it's not just relevant at one point in your life to, I accept the blood of Jesus to cover my sins, now let me get on with it. This is something that we either live daily in the truth of the gospel. That's the good news. The gospel means good news. The good news is Jesus died for our sins. So that he rose again. But the good news is Jesus died for our sins. Okay, this, is a, this is absolutely essential. It was essential from the time of Adam and Eve till he comes to rule and reign again in his people. It's essential throughout time on this earth as we know earth now until the reign of God takes over on this earth again. And... So we, 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 don't, we don't want to diminish this. We, and, and they were there worshipping it as Jews. They were there worshipping the Passover. They were there celebrating the, worshiping, they were celebrating the Passover. That God's, God's covering over them by the blood of the Lamb. 
Okay, an important, very important thing. And they had what they did. You know, they they went back and looked at. Um, God told them to to get a bunch, of, get rid of all the leaven in your houses. Why? He was taking them out in the desert. Okay, he was going to take them on a long journey, and they need to get rid of all the leaven in doing it because they their flour would rot. Right. So they were getting, and, and it's also symbolic of of leaving sin behind, of getting rid of all the leaven in our lives. Oftentimes referred to as sin. So there was a bunch of customs and traditions they practiced in this. And so Jesus, when he came into the into Jerusalem for this time, after three years of ministry, um, this is right before he died. Right, the Passover that they were celebrating, the Last Supper was the Last Supper. That night he was betrayed by Judas. That night that um, he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, went on trial and uh, was killed the next day. was hung on the cross. Um, and he knew this was happening. The people didn't know it was happening still. I mean, sometimes we read it, and we're Monday, Monday, bleh, Monday morning quarterbacks. You know, We look back and go, well, how come you didn't see that coming? You know, None of the disciples saw it coming. They were in the upper room here, and they didn't see it coming. They thought Jesus was coming to establish his kingdom. They thought that this is... This was their Messiah. They believed this was their Messiah. He was their Messiah. But they understood his establishing his kingdom. They understood it is he was going to get rid of Roman rule. This oppressive rule that, that the Romans were dominating, controlling, um, suppressing the, the Israel like they were all over the world. But, but they believed that Jesus was going to come in and set himself up as the king of kings and get rid of this Roman rule, this oppressive Roman rule. Um, that they no longer were going to have to be underneath it. And they still believe that at this dinner. They still believe this at the Last Supper. And, and you know, it's a pretty pretty profound happening here. The, in, in John, the account is, and in, in it's important to remember, this is the same time Jesus washed their feet. Remember? That, you know, we all, we all, most of us have heard of Jesus disrobing, putting a towel around himself, and getting a basin of water and washing the disciples' feet, which was a huge statement. I mean, they were just, they were looking to Jesus to set him up as king of kings, to set himself up to, to establish his kingdom right there. And he was going to establish his kingdom, different than what it looked like to them. But this was major. This was the king that, that was, he disrobed himself and washed their feet. And, the, you know, remember, Peter said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. You know, I'm not going to let you. And he said, you know, if I don't wash your feet, you're in big trouble here. And Jesus washed his feet, and Peter said, "Wash me all then." You know, doing I mean, just like Peter. But but it was it was it was a very strong statement up in this upper room where in the upper room thing is is they look for a place to have the Passover dinner. That's what they did. And the disciples, Jesus told them to go to some house and ask the man, and they'd have their Passover dinner there. So they were up there eating. And, and the truth is, they were up there um, celebrating. Okay, They didn't think Jesus was going to get killed the next day. They thought he was going to establish his kingdom. So they're going, what are you, what are you going to do in his kingdom? I mean, this is, this is like election night, you know? And, and all the results are coming in, and they think that, that their guy's winning. Okay, well, what, what, what position are you going to hold in the cabinet? You know, What, what are you going to be? You know, in this deal, you want the, you know, Secretary of State. You know, what are you going to be? You, you know, and and they were they were going back and forth amongst them, knowing that these were the men, these were Jesus' twelve most intimate disciples. Okay, and they believed he was going to establish his kingdom. So they were having a a pretty good time here at this dinner. You know, I mean, this this is like the last time being looked at as this, you know, stinking disciples that followed Jesus around. You know, Jesus was going to set up his kingdom, and they were going to be the men. They were going to be held up in, in, in important, prominent positions. And, you know, just, they just didn't see it coming. And Jesus, this is, this is the time that, that we call the Last Supper, and this is the time that he instituted um, the parameters for that. So, in Matthew 26, we read it, it says, um, verse, um, Matthew 26, 26, verse 26, And while they were eating... In the middle of time, they're eating because they're eating this, this dinner. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Make sure they were 
They'd heard it before and he'd said it before, but they're still kind of going, we're eating his body. I'm not sure what we're doing here. And he took a cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is, which is to be shed on behalf of many for forgiveness of sins. So Jesus established this institution that we've, um, run away with. And, and I would just ask you guys to, to consider what it is and what the purpose is we're doing. Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 11 back there, um, gives a reproof. And unfortunately, this, this reproof, I, I believe, over the years um, has set some precedents in communion that certainly wasn't the intention of Jesus or the intention of Paul. So let me read that. Let me read 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to the end of the chapter. I'm going to go there and follow. That's fine. How would you do that, Carlos? How would you, how would you read the Spanish version of this while I'm reading this and be able to go along with it? Oh, you read the English one? There we go. It's New American Standard, same as mine. So I was just trying to figure out how to be smarter than you. Yeah, you'd be, yeah. You'd be, have to be way smarter than me. So, verse 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. So here, here's Paul instructing them on, on communion. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, that word is ecclesia, but the, we, we always want to be careful in the New Testament to read. The word's ecclesia. It means assembly of believers. But it can also mean assembly of rioters. Okay? Ecclesia never in the New Testament means, has any reference to a building. Okay? Let's just remember that. The, the word church in the New Testament never refers to a building. Okay? It's talking about an assembly of people. So when we read the word church, we want to be very careful to read it as it was written. Um, not as we've handed it down and established it and taken on the interpretation of it. It doesn't mean in a building. Okay? It doesn't mean having anything to do with a building. It means when you come together as an assembly of believers. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For this, there must also be factions among you in order that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. One is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I receive from the Lord, Paul directly, as an apostle, God spoke, Jesus spoke directly with Paul. And he says, I, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after dinner, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged rightly ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that, he may, that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you may not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I will arrange when I come. Again, most of you have heard that. Some of us all our lives have heard those words doing that. The, the, the sad thing to me is, and I guess what I would ask you to look at, is what is Paul's reproof about? Um, what, he, he describes it fairly clearly 
And what is, what is his reproof about? His, his reproof is about in the, the, the lack of unity, the lack of intimacy between the believers. Right? For pe- people are being, being selfish. They're, they're taking, one person's taking their supper first and one is hungry. Okay? And another drunk. They're coming together for, for a dinner. Typically, communion it was never done in a setting that looked like this. It was always done in a setting where they're eating together. Okay? They're, they're coming together and they eat. They call, it's been described as the love feast. But they were eating together in a, in a natural setting and eating together. They're coming together to share a meal because that was a pretty intimate thing. They were coming together to share a meal together. And in that process, just like they were at the Last Supper, just like they were in the upper room with Jesus, they, what were they doing? They were in the process of eating together. They all had their own bread. They all had their own cups. You know, They could have made a toast. They didn't make a toast. Jesus said, here's one cup. And, and he said, and all of you are to drink out of this cup. You all drink out of this cup here. And here's one loaf. And I'm going to break this bread. And you all eat of the same loaf doing it. There's one loaf and one cup. And what, what was the purpose of Jesus? What was he saying there? And again, I ask you guys to, to consider this and look and try to put our, all of us need to try to put our presuppositions and our dogma behind us in doing that and say, what, what was Jesus trying to promote there? He was, by drinking out of one cup, do I think that that was just, you know, that was just coincidental that he says to drink out of one cup? No, I believe that was key and crucial in what he was doing. That we all drink of the same cup. Um, that we all drink of, uh, we all share. And what was his reproof? Okay, let's, let's be careful here because we, we tend to, to take the part after that and Paul says, examine yourself. So examine yourself. So what we, we turn communion into is a, is a personal, introspective time sitting. Now is it, is it important to be, have, to sit before God and ask Him to reveal a heart? That's important. That's important. It's something that we should do every day. Is that what communion's about? Mm. I don't think so. That's not what communion's about. His reproof was, wait a minute, you guys. There's factions among you. There's disagreements among you. There's a hierarchical social status. The poor people aren't even getting anything to eat. Those who are esteemed highly in this group, you guys are being gluttons. You're eating and stuffing yourselves with food. And, and there isn't, is, is, is there unity in this body? What did Jesus say that the totality of the law was summed up in what? This doesn't change before then, during that same time of that supper afterwards. It doesn't matter. To love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Right? That, that's what God said is, is the crux of what we're about. The totality of the law is fulfilled in that. Okay? So, what would that look like? What, would that, what, what should that look like if we're being obedient to God? That we're selfish? That we disregard each other when we're eating? Um, that we hold ourselves as more important or more esteemed than other people in this room? No. It wouldn't. It wouldn't look like that. It doesn't look like that. The unity of believers is critical. That, that, that is what this is about. When he, do, he doesn't call it a... He doesn't dis, the church, the body of Christ, is not described in the New Testament as a, as a corporate structure where there's a hierarchy of people. It, says, it talks about as being a body. And that all the parts of the body are important. What we may esteem is the left part of the body... You know, it's just your toe, for that matter. You know, just your foot, for that matter, is critically important to the body. And there isn't a higher esteem part of the body, that we're all part of the body. And, and we're, to, we're to function and act in unity. His description of these people, were they functioning and acting in unity? No, they weren't, right? And yet, then, what were they doing? They were symbolizing the fact that they were in unity in the blood of Christ. By sharing in this cup. By sharing in this bread. So they were doing this act of communion 
and, and yet the reality wasn't there. What did Jesus call that? Hypocrisy. Time and time again. That's what he came down on. That's what Jesus had no tolerance for. Paul, the same way here. Here, here it is. We have a, a dysfunctional body where we're not in unity, where we're not one, where, where we're acting selfishly, and yet, and yet we're sharing in this cup which is supposed to cause us to be absolutely, intimately intertwined with each other. Okay? And, and Paul, Paul comes down pretty harshly on this. That the reality of what was supposed to be taking place wasn't real. Okay? This wasn't really what was going on. There was factions and divisions and selfishness and gluttony and drunkenness and all these things. And, and we think, oh, what a mess. Well, that looks like most of us just hanging out together left to ourselves. And, and, and that's what was truly happening. And yet they were, they were participating in this remembrance that Jesus had put there and said, we're all one in the body of Christ. When Jesus was telling these, the, his disciples there, I'm, I'm pretty confident when he was, they were sitting around the table there, and they were reveling in this. I mean, in their opinion, again, it, it was something, something like a, you know, their guy just won the presidency. You know? I mean, this was, a, this was something that they're all sitting there knowing. He's, he's, he's here. And I mean, this week's about over and, and he's going to establish his kingdom. That's what he came here for. I mean, he, came, he fulfilled all the prophecies. He came riding in on the donkey. They put palm branches for him. He's heralded. All the people are behind him. This is, he's supported. We're in. This is good. Finally, he's going to establish his kingdom on doing this. And, 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 and I believe it was somewhat euphoric. I think it was probably euphoric enough. I mean, it was amazing to me. They didn't even recognize Judas. Um, you know, Jesus, they said, how will we know? Who is it? And he said, well, the one I dip with. And then he did it, and nobody even noticed. I mean, you would think they would have pounced on him, right? And he was, this was the dude that was going to do something really bad, right? He was just going to go betray Jesus, sell him for 30 pieces of silver um, to people who wanted to kill him, and were going to kill him, okay? Even to the extent that this is, that it says in, in one of the Gospels, it says that, that Judas was possessed by Satan himself. Okay? So, so here they are. There's, there's the twelve disciples and Jesus, is all we know was in this room, right? Not a whole lot of people. Thirteen of them in this room. And one of them is possessed by Satan himself. They didn't even notice. They didn't recognize it. Jesus' Jesus' statement to them is, do this in remembrance of me. This, this, this act that I'm giving you this, this is a statement of remembrance. It's not something that causes something to happen. It is something that remembers why the right things are happening. What is the unity that we have as a body and why is that there? It's because of the body and blood of Jesus. It's because of the death of Jesus. He says that, that this is something that, 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 you, that remembers my death until I come again. So we always keep that in the forefront of our mind. That that is what causes it. So that's why the reproof was so strong when he says, but in giving you this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a, as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. That's really not what you're doing. For when you're eating, each one takes his own supper first. And one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? What are you doing? You're not living it out, and yet you're pretending to do it by taking this participating in this ritual that Jesus gave us to do in remembrance of him. He says to search your heart. He says, search, look, look at your heart and see. If you're not doing it, if, if it's not really happening, do not believe that doing this, this ceremony and this ritual is going to change that. This doesn't change it. It puts you in a dangerous way because what you're doing is making a statement about the unity that is supposed to be amongst us because of the blood of Jesus, because of the death of Jesus. 
The, Bi- the Bible is filled, the New Testament is filled with the fact that we are intimately tied together as a family by the blood of Jesus. Right? This, is, this is not a maybe. He even talks in the New Testament about the intimacy of that family that we're to be as Christians is even tighter than our blood. Even tighter than, than our own blood families. That the, that the experience and relationship we're to have as believers supersedes that. This is an eternal relationship bound together by the blood of Jesus. That's, that, that's an intimate tie. The, the, if that isn't happening, to, to participate or pretend um, that it's happening by, by doing it, what does he say that looks like? Therefore, anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And I think it, it's an unfortunate thing that we have turned that to to make this a somber time of of self-introspection. We don't regard our relationship with our brothers and sisters. We don't regard what's happening in this body. We don't regard what Jesus, I believe, set it up for. What Jesus instituted this for. Instead, we just go, oh, I need to check and make sure that I don't have any unconfessed sins in my life. And if I don't, then, then I personally partake of this Jesus never meant it to be a personal partaking. He meant it to be a corporate act. He meant it to be a, a, the, the assembly of believers act. That's what he intended it for. Communion was not an interpersonal thing for me, a place to confess my sins. Let me say this. You should have confessed your sins before you walked in here this morning. You should, you should always be at a point of confessing your sins. This isn't a time to come and confess your sins. That, that, that is a state you should exist in with God. You, you walk in here harboring sin or unrepentant sin in your life. What a mess, you guys. The, the, your relationship with God should be clean when you get up in the morning. If you go through the day as you sin, there shouldn't be unrepentant sin that you have to recall and see if there's any sin in my life. There should be a continual state of existence that you live in with, with your God because of Jesus. The examining should be that you that you look at your that you look at the body and say, is this what we're participating in? Are we one? Are we in unity? Because of the body and blood of Jesus? Because I believe that's that, that's a reproof Paul was making for not being right there. You're coming together and, and your interpersonal relationships with each other as a as a church, as an assembly of believers, is a mess. And yet you're taking communion, which is expressing that you're one by the blood of Jesus. And he says, because of that, some of you are weak and sick and a number sleep. That's not a pretty sight. That's an ugly sight. And, I, and, and none of us want to be in that context. So I, I, I realize people were... Uh, Impaled on sticks and burned for saying such things, coming against how we believe in the traditions of men. Um, I, please don't do that to me. My wife would be very disappointed. Um, I would ask you to look at it. This isn't this isn't David speaking. If if it is David, throw it out. Reprove me. Come to me. Correct me. Help me. Because if I have a wrong understanding, I need your help. As a brother, I need your help. But I ask you to look at the Word. Look at the emphasis in the Word. and what don't, look at, don't look at the doctrines of men. Don't look at the church tradition. Don't look at the dogma of men, which is, which is controlled and manipulated and, and governed how we, how we participate and how we act. I mean, any, any of us that grew up in church, I mean, this is a, this is, this is a profoundly strong deal. You know, any of us that grew up in church, you know, we can all remember the elder passing the plate as we walk by and looking at us. Are we going to take it or not? Do we have unconfessed sin or not? What am I going to do? Am I like, I better hear confess my sin. Everybody think I'm a black sinner. Better do it. I'll take it. God forgive me so I don't get in trouble here. I mean, it's, 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 there's, it's a pretty powerful, impactive scene that goes on in the whole act of communion, in passing communion. Um, but I'm not sure that it follows the biblical guidelines that Paul has for us. Follows our church guidelines. Um, 
is 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 it, it truly set up? Was it established? Did Jesus mention anything about this is a time to confess your sin? Is this this is a time when we when we make sure that our relationship with God is right? No. Jesus said that you do this remembering remembering my death. Remembering what binds you together as a body. Celebrating. I would even take it a step farther. It is a point of celebrating what Jesus has done for us. The blood and body of Jesus that was broken for us so that we could have a relationship with God. And so that we could be intimately have a relationship with each other. This is not a a somber occasion. Serious? Mm -hmm. Serious. But the seriousness of it is, what is my relationship with my brothers and sisters here? What is the, what is the level of, of, of true intimacy with my brothers and sisters here? What is the level of the body of Christ here um, on a real, not false level? And check that to see. Is, does the blood of Jesus create the unity? Is it creating the unity that he called it to? Is this about participating in the death of Jesus personally? Because, because what caused the division? What caused the gluttony? What caused the selfishness? What caused pushing in line first? What caused those things? Participating in the death of Jesus? No. No. Participating in the death of Jesus means that I'm a dead man. That my is not first. That I do not promote myself first. That I regard others as more important than myself. That's the participation in the body that, that re- remembering the death of Jesus is supposed to be about. Again, I would just, I would challenge you guys, not just, I would challenge you guys to go back and reread. Please do not be hardened by the, the, the repetitive hearing that we've heard of certain words in, 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 in Scripture that, that we've become dull to. And what, what he was trying to say to us. Because this is something that we've all, anybody who's spent any time in church, and, and again, anybody who hasn't spent any time in church, it's culturally strongly impacted and influenced. Everybody has some perception in our culture, in American culture, of what communion is. Everybody has, I'm not saying right ones, but everybody has a perception. It's that strong of a, that strong of a um, thing in Christendom. But, but the important thing is that we understand God's perspective on it and we participate in it as God would want us to. That the blood of Jesus is everything to us. Remembering his death is everything to us. The fact that we, that we can have forgiveness of sins, the fact that we can have reconciliation with God because of the death of Jesus is everything to us. It's, it's, it's beyond critical. It's essential for our lives. It is the foundation of who we are as people of God or we're not people of God. The death of Jesus is impactive on us daily. We appropriate the, the right relationship God we can have through the forgiveness, through the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins daily. But we don't participate in it. It's, it's a very, very critical foundation to who we are in our relationship with God. And, and I'm thankful for it. I, I really think in our culture that, that we, we move in, in exemplifying what the grace of God is. Um, I believe the grace of God, biblically termed, is God's unmerited favor towards us. That the, the grace of God is truly the fact that God has allowed us to have a relationship with Him, not based on our works, not based on what we've done, not based on our goodness, not because we deserve it, but purely on the fact that God loves us. And God allows us to have a relationship and has provided a way for us to do that. The grace of God is not, is not a, a God who, who, an old man who has Alzheimer's, who has scratch glasses that doesn't share sin. The grace of God is, is, is God Almighty sent His Son to pay for our sin. Not because we earned it, not in our merit, but because of His love and His compassion and His grace, even when we didn't want it, didn't deserve it. It doesn't matter. We can never deserve it. Okay? We can never merit God's favor. 
But the grace of God is, is foundational. And it's expressed itself absolutely in the death of Jesus. I, I, I would ask you to consider what the death of Jesus means to us, personally. I mean, we've got the birth of Jesus coming. And that we cannot over-consider the person of Jesus. I find myself, because we live in a, and, and, I'm, and I'm a product of it, because we, we live in a democratic society, we don't live under a king, we're not used to having a sovereign king over us, we are used to, I mean, even Mr. Obama really has no say in my life except what the right I give him or the law through the Constitution, his ability to do that. But he can't exhibit his will over me outside of the rule of law that we live under. I'm not used to it, to a king who's absolute. None of us are. It's very, very difficult for me in, in, in growing up in this culture and, and being the human that I am. To worship a man. Okay? That's something that we, in, in all my life, I've been taught. Uh, we worship God. And it's kind of an etherical thing up there. But let me just say that we should worship Jesus. Jesus is a man. He came in the flesh. We need to worship Jesus. And we need to honor Jesus as our sovereign king. As our Lord. He's not a democracy. I have no say in what's right and wrong and how he feels. It's a recognition of God. The fortunate, sweet part of it is He's a loving Father. He's not a tyrannical King. He's a loving Father that intimately knows us, that, in, that created us personally and individually, has every hair on our head numbered, and longs to have a relationship with us. So, let's go participate in some of that unity and eating, eating together. I, I count it a privilege and and and, uh, and my feelings would be hurt if you left without eating together with us. So not that that matters, but you know. so can we pray? God, there aren't a lot of institutions or or, or ceremonies that you gave us. You. We are, we are a people who worships a God without a, without a temple. We are a people who worships a God without an image, without icons. You purposely didn't establish those because this is a, this is a relationship that we truly live out in, from our inner being. This is a true intimate relationship with you that, that isn't to be pretended on the outside by acting out in certain rituals in certain ways. And I thank you for that. I thank you that, that, that you have established a, a relationship with you that is based on truth, that is, that is based on your merit, on, on your mercy, on your grace. And we, we don't have to earn your favor. We cannot earn your favor. We cannot earn our salvation, but all we can do is remember your death. And that, that death means us dying. But participating in that death is participating in that death. And, and I thank you that that's all it takes is surrendering to you and surrender, surrendering to your Lordship. I thank you that, that you didn't make us come up with a whole other book a Mishnah book, or, a, or even a Leviticus or a Deuteronomy, that although they convey your heart, we're no longer under that system. I thank you for that. Thank you that we can have an intimate relationship with you based on truth, based on the direction of your Holy Spirit, based on the leading of your Holy Spirit. There's not very many things you gave us that, that acts that we're to do symbolically. And, and communion is one of them. Communion is one of them. That the participation um, in your body and your blood. And, and I, you know, I, it's a pretty wild thing. I read, I read John and, and we talk about eating your body and drinking your blood. And 
they were troubled by it and the disciples were troubled by it and I have to admit I'm troubled by it. It's a, it's a difficult, difficult thing when you talk about eating your body and drinking your blood. You weren't trying to freak us out or put a standard that, that wasn't achievable. You're trying to lead us into a loving relationship with you and with God. So I thank you for that. And I thank you that you want to reveal your truth and you want us to participate in this remembrance of you in a way that gives you glory. Um, in a way that, that honors your death. In a way that allows us to, to truly participate in your death. In the value, in the meaning, in the power of your death. So I thank you for that. And I ask you to, to correct us all, to direct us all, and our understanding of what you want us to participate in. I ask you to direct and, and, and give us understanding on how you want us, the, the ecclesia, the assembly of believers, to look. How you want your church to look. How you want your body to look. How you want us to function. And how seriously you take that. You say that that this world will know that we're your disciples by our love for each other, by our, our intimate interrelationships and expression of agape love towards each other. That's how the world will know. And you call us to participate in it, and you call us to share in the communion of your blood, of your death, realizing that that's why we can Realizing that that's why we can be intimate. That's why we can have a relationship as your people, as your body, as your church. So God, I ask you to lead us. I, I personally, and I know there's a bunch of other brothers and sisters in this room, give you the right to be sovereign. To be sovereign in our lives. There's, there's people here who don't, who don't have that relationship with you, God. And I ask that you would give us, give us your wisdom. Give us your intuitiveness. Give us your truth to convey to them this free gift that you have to have a right relationship with you. To have a right relationship with Almighty God based on the blood and body of Jesus that, that was put up to cover our sins. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that wondrous, amazing act of love towards us. Now, please guard, protect, lead in our time together as we, as we eat and hang out. Cause it to be glorifying to you. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to be the body. Thank you for allowing us to be the church. Thank you for allowing us to be a chosen race, a new people. Amen.